Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 137 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing horror podcasting, and I'm joined by two guests. So first up, we've got Casey Wayland, writer and director of the zombie horror podcast We're Alive, a full-cast audio drama that's racked up over 32 million downloads. So Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. And also joining us today is David Cummings, host and producer of the No Sleep podcast, an award-winning anthology series of original horror stories. He's also appeared on the Pseudopod Horror Podcast and on the Drabblecast. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. Okay, and so as we're recording this, it's Friday the 13th, and it's a very cold winter night, so it seems like the perfect time to stay inside by the fire and discuss ghost stories and podcasting. It's 80 degrees in California. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, man. (laughs) I'll concur with that freezing, freezing, freezing cold temperature up here in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, all right. Well, I hope you're still set to discuss ghost stories, even though it's 80 degrees. Oh, yeah, (laughs) you always have time for horror. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, and speaking of horror, uh, my first question is to you guys is just how did you first become horror fans? Uh, did you watch movies or books? What did you read growing up? Uh, so, Casey, why don't we start with you and just tell us a little bit about your road to becoming a horror fan? Me, personally, I am a big Stephen King fan. Um, I don't know what it is about his horror stories, but they always have some sort of, like, um, really cool angle of, of, you know, storytelling and characters and, and still at the same time, still pretty horrifying. Yeah, and so so when did like how old were you when you started getting into Stephen King? I'd say I was probably around like thirteen or fourteen, and even even his stuff that was like non horror, like Shawshank Redemption, he always was able to like just have a solid good story. Yeah, yeah. And were there any other particular horror authors or horror movies that really made a big impression on you? Um, I'd well with the horror you know movies, there's so many others out there that are like just horrifying. Like I think part of the um, oh, I can't think of the uh. The name eluded me for a minute. Uh, it's the horror film where they're trapped uh, inside of the cave and they're trying to get yeah, out. The Descent? The Descent. That's it. The, those types of movies where it's very claustrophobic and you're discovering something evil inside. That's, that's a really nice, you know, uh, I think it's the perfect setting for a horror film. Yeah, I love that movie too. Uh, how about David? Uh, uh, Stephen King fan? What was your, what was your voyage into horror? For me, it uh, it wasn't so much Stephen King in my early days. I discovered him as I got a little older. Um, I uh, I remember when I was fairly young, probably under 10, and uh, I got a book, I think probably through school, and it was basically a series of ghost stories that were um, supposedly based around my local area, basically Ontario, Canada. And so reading that book, I remember being very very scared by it. And that's really sort of where I fell in love with the idea of the sort of the short form ghost story, or as we like to call it, the campfire story, where you just sit around a campfire and say, let me tell you what happened to me two weeks ago, or what happened to a friend of mine three weeks ago. And, and so those kind of uh, stories really resonated with me. And then you know, I got a little older and I uh, I heard about the Amityville Horror book and I read that, probably a little too young to read it, but I read that and just, you know, that just terrified me. And uh, so when the movie came out, I was right there. I don't know, I was probably 11 years old when it came out. And uh, so I went and saw that. So it's it's sort of this progression of just simple campfire ghost stories that have sort of led into those kind of stories into, you know, novels and into movies. Uh, that's something that really resonates with me. Right, right. And Casey, I also wanted to ask you, given that you developed We're Alive into this sort of audio drama, were you a fan of any particular radio dramas or things like that? To be honest, not really. And the one of the reasons why is because I didn't think that um, they weren't particularly well done. There's a lot of, I mean, there's some really good ones out there, but a lot of them played off of really weird gimmicks and they tend to over narrate things. And especially when you're doing like an audio drama horror and you're trying to suspend the disbelief of somebody, if you keep butting in with a narrator or something like that, or you don't set the mood properly, it can be very easily lost. So 
that's kind of one of the reasons why I started We're Alive is because I thought we could do something different in a, a more compelling way than what kind of already preexisted. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell us about how, how did you first discover the horror podcasting scene and kind of how did you first get in, into it as a listener? Um, well, at the time, uh, I listened to a lot of different books on tape and I was actually doing a lot of uh, like comedy podcasts at the time. And I took a look at some of the, the horror podcasts that were out there. Well, some of them are not horror. Some of them are. The audio drama community uh, for podcasts, uh, it depends. It has a very wide range of things. Um, and actually, there were some pre-existing zombie-related and horror podcasts that I listened to. And uh, some of them were, were pretty good. Um, and it was just one of those things where it like felt like sometimes they were really lacking in characters. Or you'll have the duplicated voices over and over. And with with horror, like if you're having somebody try and play multiple characters in the same scene and they're not it, it it's very confusing. And if you kill off a character that was a multiple of a voice, it's just there's no loss. You don't really lose a person in there. And it felt very dry and, and, and stale and, you know, another field that was really easily, you know, to build off of and make bigger. Um so yeah, hopefully that kind of answers that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and how about David? How about how did you get into the horror podcasting scene? Well, it's it's funny. I'm I can sort of echo Casey's statements that uh, yeah, I was a big fan and still am a big fan of audiobooks. And so you know that the idea of storytelling through the recorded medium was uh, you know a big part of my life. Uh, a comedy podcast again as well. Uh, we're, we're a big part of getting into the world of podcasting. And then in terms of the No Sleep podcast or horror podcasting in general, it actually was a bit of a fluke. Uh, I wasn't really aware of of sort of the horror genre as it is now what we consider horror podcasting. But um, I was fooling around on Reddit. I created an account in which I basically, instead of typing out a response, I would I would record it, a little 30-second blurb. And I did one where I put on the silly voice. I sounded like a serial killer. And somebody heard that and said, you, you know, you should connect with the guys who are trying to put together this podcast of no sleep stories, you know, over on Reddit. And uh, so it was just somebody sort of mentioned that to me. And I was at the point in my life where I wanted to kind of get back into doing a bit of voice stuff. And uh, so, I, you know, I was sort of steered in that direction and I threw my hat in the ring. And long story short, I ended up kind of producing the show and and, and making it my own. But Essentially, yeah, it was just it was that kind of serendipitous uh, connection that got me into it, because before that, I wasn't really aware of or following a lot of the horror, horror audio drama that was available. OK, well, you say it got you back into voice doing voice stuff. What sort of voice stuff had you done prior to that? Oh, it was it was very sort of minor stuff. I spent the, the bulk of the 90s. I was uh, a full time professional musician. And so I was around studios and I was on the stage and. It was just one of those things that when you're bored and you've got a microphone in front of you, you fool around and, you know, you talk with a professional voice like this and, and, and people, you know, people say, hey, man, you've got a voice for radio and a face for radio. So you should think <laughs> <Aww>. about that. <laughs> so um, so I, I did some demo stuff where I would uh, announce or do some sort of voiceover stuff for friends who were putting together their music demos and that type of thing. So it really wasn't a professional gig, but. You know, it was just one of those things through the encouragement of others. I did a bit of uh, voice work and uh, later in life, I thought maybe this is something I could get back into if if not professionally, at least as a hobby. Right. Well, could we hear your serial killer voice? <laughs> My serial killer voice from that <laughs> one. It was it was funny that the post was uh, somebody had put this old crate out by the road and some other Redditor saw it and thought this would be funny to to do up and make it look like a serial killer. And so he put all this red paint on it and everything and it made it look like it was a, a serial killer had killed someone in this crate at the side of the road. So I think I just said, you know, did something about, Oh, what's a delightful murder you've created, you know, and all this kind of deep voice that makes it sound like he too is a serial killer. So just, you know, just really broad and really silly, <laughs> but well done. Uh, and how about uh, Casey? Did you have any sort of uh, before you started the podcast? Did you have any kind of performance background or um, audio production background or anything like that? Um, yeah, actually, the weird thing is, um, way back when I was sixteen, I actually had a job at an audiobook rental store, which 
By the way, those don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, they um, there was a customer that I had with, who was producing one, and he's like, "Hey, I need some. I need a kid's voice who's like 16. Are you interested in doing it?" He said, "You you have a pretty good voice." And I was like, "Sure, I'll do it." Um, and that was my first experience. It was like um, a real simple drama about a, a kid who is like witnesses his his basketball like his dream like uh, star that he just. Is, is such awe of and apparently he saw him do something bad and he witnesses this thing and he has to like testify against him and so it was actually kind of a cool little start to get into the world and uh and it took another like 15 years roughly for me to actually like start doing something again uh for audio drama but it's it's funny how like if you're exposed once it might show its head again well, and doing this sort of full cast audio drama that you do just seems like a really ambitious project. I mean, did you, how confident were you going into it that you could pull this off? Uh, the funny thing is, actually, I had kind of a demo run uh, in my senior thesis. I was working on a, uh, an animation project, and the animation project was so thick with uh, voice talented actors and recordings of their voices and stuff. And then when we actually went through the, the process of animating everything, it was so long and arduous. I was like, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to actually do the animation? Because hmm. the, weirdly enough, the, the performances felt better than the animation ever was afterwards. So it's like, huh, this might be an idea. And then when podcasts were like a way to go directly to the consumer with, uh, direct, with these stories, and I was like, perfect. We have a delivery medium. We have the content. Now let's do a full sound design from we already previously done with like film projects and it just kind of all the pieces fit together and made a, a, a new exploration of a medium. And so what what year was it that you started We're Alive? Uh, I started We're Alive in 2009. So it wasn't quite 15 years after, uh, if I do the math <laughs> now in my head, but close enough, close enough. But I mean, there was a gigantic zombie uh, wave of popularity around that time, sort of where, where, where in that chronology of, of big zombie hit things did your podcast start? We actually were at the cusp. Um, I started We're Alive before Walking Dead was even uh, even announced. And because that's what I wanted to do is actually I saw a giant lack of a TV show that could have been um, a survival horror show before that existed. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I don't think we'll ever be able to go directly and make this for TV because there's no money to do something like that. So maybe we'll start as a podcast. And then when people catch on. Uh, we will be able to jump into the TV medium, and that would be a great way for people to pay attention to us. And then, like a year in, Walking Dead premiered, and it was just like, yeah. <laughs> and then now there's so much zombies that I'm actually like, kind of like dead with them in a way. It's like it's almost too many things. There's too many TV shows, and it's actually like an inhibitor to actually get our show more known now than it was like five years ago. Okay, so David. Um... Tell us a, a bit more about the No Sleep podcast for people who uh, who aren't familiar with it. I mean, you mentioned uh, that it came out of this Reddit message board and there are these different stories. Talk about just that, that whole process. Yeah, the No Sleep podcast was an idea that came about back in the spring of 2011. And uh, a gentleman who was uh, a part of the No Sleep community on Reddit just made a post one day and said, would anyone be interested in, in if, if we created a podcast where some of the top stories uh, would be narrated. And for those who don't know, the No Sleep subreddit is basically a place where people post stories that are meant to be plausible. And so in other words, if you suspend your disbelief, they're meant to be sort of authentic, you know, real sounding stories and mostly written in the first person. So you're, you're getting that campfire effect as well. It's so it's the, uh, this is what happened to me and let me share it with you. And so. The idea was we'll take some of these top rated stories and we'll record them. We'll just narrate them and make it into a podcast. And uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, I was uh, sort of pointed in that direction. And I said, you know, if you need me, I'll uh, I'll do some narration. And, and that's where I thought it would sort of end. Um, but as with so often happens, uh, you know, some good ideas come forward and people step up and say, yeah, I'll volunteer to do this, this and this. But when it comes to actually getting it done, uh, there was a lot of feet dragging. And so I basically said, well, look, I'll, I'll record a story. Uh, a couple of other people had recorded a story. So I said, give the files to me and I'll kind of slap together a, a, an intro and an outro. I'll put a little bit of music underneath the stories and let's get that first episode out there, get some momentum. 
and then let the other people who who said in the past that they would produce it and narrate it and stuff let them step up and take over um so uh, the first episode turned into the second episode and the third episode and I just kept producing it and putting it out there and and that was basically it I was I was kind of locked in and uh kind of took it from there and then it just sort of gradually very slowly built up and uh it's just something that I w- was able to kind of make my own just uh, almost by default Well but you did sort of try to walk away at one point right Yes, that's right. Um, we had done about 18 regular episodes and we did a few bonus episodes in there as well, some longer episodes. And, uh, during that, what ended up being what I called the first season of the show, um, because it wasn't, because I sort of came in through the back door, as it were, it wasn't sort of my project and my vision from the very start. What ended up happening is that instead of feeling like I had some sort of ownership of the show, I felt like I was more of a caretaker and I felt like I was working for these unseen masses out there who were the listeners. And so people would contact me or leave comments or reviews and they would say, well, I don't like this aspect of the show. And my first reaction was, oh, I better change that. I better keep those people happy. And then someone else would say, well, I don't like that aspect of the show. And oh, I got to change that. I got to make sure every single person is happy with everything we do. And needless to say, that sort of approach will just burn you out in an instant. And so basically after 18 episodes, I said, I have to step away from this because it's, it's just a little too much. And I went on hiatus and at the time it was very open-ended. I really didn't know if I would be coming back, but it ended up being only three months. And, uh, so when I did come back, I felt that it was now my show. It was something that I could put my vision into and kind of make it the show I wanted it to be. And I didn't have as much of that uh, stress and anxiety of having to please everybody. I basically said, this is my show. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, well, there's, there's other options out there for you. So you can go and enjoy those. So that was, that was a real turning point for me and the podcast was being able to say, I'm not just a a caretaker of the show, I now kind of own the show, not just in like a business sense, but in the the whole approach, the whole mission of the show is now mine. And that's that was very, very freeing. And also it mentions in your bio, David, that you worked on the um, Pseudopod and Drabblecast podcast or you worked with them. You want to talk a little bit about what that was? Yeah, that was one of those things where just there there is this fairly tight knit uh, audio horror fiction community out there in terms of podcasting. And, um, so basically as I was growing the show, I thought, well, I can, you know, sort of do a bit of advertising, so to speak, but I can connect with the people who are producing these other podcasts and, you know, just sort of share the wealth as it were. Like, you know, I, I can do some narrations, uh, you know, I've got stories, I've got narrators. And so, you know, we can have that interaction. We can kind of trade things back and forth. And so, it was really, as I say, it was kind of motivated by a bit of sense of uh, self-promotion. But at the same time, I just, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, share my voice, as it were. I know that sounds sort of pretentious, but get the the voice out there and uh, just contribute to these other shows and support them and uh, try to help out and, and kind of build that community of uh, of horror podcasting. Yeah. I mean, Casey, what do you think about the horror podcasting as a community? What sort of experiences have you had with people? Um, yeah, I've had a lot of interactions with other podcasts. Uh, like uh, we were on the Roundtable podcast very recently talking about uh, the upcoming project that's going on with We're Alive. And there's a lot of there's a very large audio drama community for other podcasts like the Leviathan Chronicles and uh, anybody who's making like narrative stuff. It seems like everybody seems to help each other out. Um, and we've also there are a, a lot more uh, podcast award shows nowadays where things like, uh, you know, the, the, the Geeky Awards and they have the podcast awards. So a lot of the community is getting to know each other and listen to each other's work. And there's a lot more, uh, I'd say in the last like three years, a lot more people are talking to each other and giving each other hi- uh, hints and tips. And it seems like everybody just wants to help elevate each other's work to uh, kind of a new level. I mean, I did hear you say, though, in one interview that you did have some, so to put it, horror stories uh, with some other podcasters. They were writing bad reviews for you or something because they were jealous. Yeah, or? there there are there are those. Uh, 
I'd say 90% of everybody who makes content out there is is really, you know, very gung-ho and supportive for what you do. And there's a lot of uh, people who are, I would say, um, the there are hobbyists who take this very, like, loosey, and there's people who take it very professional. There's a, a pretty big divide between the two, and there is some animosity for some people who take a very professional approach to it, to it and there's other people who are, like, doing it as a hobby, and then they kind of get mad. So, yeah, we've had... I've actually been able to to look at some reviews of people who are producers of other shows, and it's like they'll bash you on your reviews, and they'll use their real name and their username, and it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? So there there are there are people out there who will kind of troll you and and try and uh, actually diminish your reviews and and mark you down on stuff just for the sake of trying to put themselves ahead of you, and it's there are there's that aspect in, in pretty much any business, so you have to be the lookout. For the most part, though, the community's pretty pretty good yeah yeah well let's talk about the community and just what some of the other horror podcasts are that people should know about uh, i post this to some of our listeners and some ones that people mentioned so jonathan dance said that pseudopod and tales to terrify are my go-to podcasts and kevin w young says pseudopod tales to terrify the lovecraft literary podcast rebelcast and also the nightmare podcast and no sleep he says obviously um do you guys uh um, David, what do you think about any of those podcasts or are there other ones, other horror podcasts you think we should mention here? You know, that's, that's certainly the, uh, kind of the all-star team of, uh, of horror podcasting, definitely pseudopod, uh, kind of the gold standard out there. Tales to terrify, uh, definitely is in there. Um, what, what's interesting with horror podcasting, or I, maybe I should say at least sort of audio adaptation of horror fiction is YouTube is is a real sort of uh, burgeoning player in in this kind of market, and YouTube obviously it's free hosting, and so what what ends up happening is there's been this sort of community of narrators who will read these short uh, horror fiction stories. A lot of times it's um, uh, creepy pasta, as it's known, where be- basically people are posting stories relatively anonymously, and so people take these. Uh, sort of anonymous, uh, more underground stories, and they just narrate it and maybe put a bit of music to it or a bit of sound design, but then they just make them as videos on YouTube with with uh, essentially just audio content. And so, you know, there, there's sort of that whole realm of things, not sp- uh, specifically podcasts, but horror that's being adapted for audio. And along those lines, uh, I'm good friends with the the team over at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. And they do stuff that's very similar to the No Sleep podcast in terms of the quality of the stories, the production, the music, and the sound design. So, yeah, I mean, the the ones that you mentioned, as I say, Pseudopod, Tales to Terrify, uh, Knife Point Horror, you know, those are great uh, to, you know, throw on your uh, phone, throw on your podcaster app, uh, podcatcher app. Yeah, to, to piggyback that, uh, you, you pretty much named all the big ones, so it's like I can't really add more to that list. Um, but actually, I have the the opposite warning of uh, the anthologies are really good to take a look at. But also keep in mind that there are a lot of podcasts. Take a look at the reviews and take a look at the dates that start and then never finish. So if there's if you really find a good one out there um, that look that might be great, be forewarned that there are some that just like they get you in and then they never give you the answers to the questions they pose. So just it's always you have to kind of like be a little vigilant with some of the 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 ones that are out there. I'll mention too. I mean, there's one called Horror, etc. that I've listened to, um, and there's one called Last Podcast on the Left, which seems to be pretty popular. I haven't actually listened to that one, so maybe people can look into those. Um, I guess I'll also mention I've done some stuff with Pseudopod. Two of my stories appeared on Pseudopod in episodes 48 and 94, so people should go check those out. Um, but KC, I saw that there's actually there's a We're Alive fan cast, so that must be pretty cool having a a podcast devoted to your podcast. The podcast about a podcast. That's it's it's actually really fun, and there's actually been two, and there's a third one that someone's making now, because um, they're like, they love to discuss, well, just like they have the Walking Dead cast and all these other, um, you know, shows about shows where they discuss it, uh, they really can get deep behind the scenes of stuff and um, get to interview people, so that, it's actually really awesome, and it's also a way where we can communicate with our fans a little better. Because uh, one of the things we don't really do um, on our show is we don't really have talking segments where we can explain upcoming events or any sort of like uh, upcoming projects and things like that. So it's nice to be able to go on there and 
and talk with the people and and have another way of reaching the fans that's just not on your uh thing and also it's a more community involvement because the more people that get involved like um that particular fan cast actually arranged like a convoy to go across the u.s to see our finale so that it's really cool to see these people come together and and make something that's really fun and actually they ended up producing their own chapter of uh, a side story of we're alive just as the fans and as uh the fun uh so it's, it's kind of neat to see a community come to life like that and especially with podcasts anybody can do it well wait say a bit more about that convoy where were people coming from and going to Oh, there was a, uh, we had a, our series finale last July, um, in LA, and the convoy started in Ohio and went all the way across the United States. And they, they had their stops planned. They were like camping out under the stars. And all they had was this group of people that had a love for the show. And they became life friends then. And they like visited the Grand Canyon. Uh, they have all these stories where like, uh, they're a little bit adventurous, and they like went to like rest stops that were abandoned and took pictures and stuff. And they had so much fun. And they went back and uh, they podcasted a little bit as they went, and you got to hear a little bit of their adventures and updates as they went. And it was it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. And for me, as a you know, creating we're alive, it was so awesome to see the dedication of of listeners in that way. Yeah, that that's really amazing. I mean, just what's what other sort of fan feedback have you gotten that's really made a big impression on you or that sticks in your mind? Um, I'm blown away by the amount of visually impaired listeners that we have. Um, people who are recovering from surgery or permanently visually impaired. And this is like their, the biggest thing to them that they've ever listened to. And they're like any, any time they can communicate with me on, on, uh, on Twitter and things like that. They're constantly letting me know. And this is like their, their favorite show. And I've, I, didn't really expect that aspect when I first went into it. And more and more, I want to do more um, tours and reach out to more like schools for visually impaired students and develop a better connection of, of developing stories for uh, people who are visually impaired. So there's, there's an avenue that I discovered from creating this content that I'd never thought of before. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so how about David, uh, fan feedback? What sort of response have you been getting? You know, it's, it's so interesting to hear Casey talk about that, that aspect, the, the fact that you've got fans that are visually impaired and, you know, seeing this as a real godsend of, of, you know, knowing that they can just listen and just use their imaginations. And, uh, what I found is something similar, obviously not on the same scale. Uh, I think our fan base is, is quite a bit smaller than we're alive. But what I'm finding is that I'll get, com- uh, contacted by people individually. They'll contact me, send me an email. And I've had a number of people who have said, you know, whether it's sort of a kind of a psychological issue that the, the podcast kind of helps them to calm down and sleep at night. Or I have, uh, there was one a listener who, um, you know, contacted me and said, I, I have some medical issues and I'm actually losing my sight. I have a condition where my sight is slowly getting worse and worse. And, you know, in the future, I will be completely blind. And so when I hear people contact me or or have people contact me and say, you're really impacting my life, you're providing an an entertainment that I can't find anywhere else. uh, It's, it's just remarkable. And it's, it's something that puts everything else into perspective. All the minutia of the day to day can get uh, very much sort of wiped away when you realize you're impacting people on a very profound level. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 those kind of uh, interactions with fans that really stick out with me. You know, it's great to have people uh, contact you and have that sort of "Yeah, you guys rock" kind of <laughs> attitude. But when it's uh, when it's someone saying, "Yeah, you're really impacting my life," that's you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that reminds me of this uh, listener comment we got here from Angie Somerville. She says, um, "I absolutely love the No Sleep podcast." particularly because hearing an audio tale versus watching something forces you to bring your imagination into the story. They can leave you with that uneasy, creepy feeling that we as horror fans love. And she wants to know, are there any stories featured on the podcast that have stuck with you for that reason? For me, the Pen Pal series and Budget Cinema come to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are two, uh, uh, two very impactful stories for sure. The Pen Pal series is, uh, was a series of six stories that were written by an author, Dathan Auerbach. And, um, just masterful stories. Each one of them could stand alone as a, a you know, sort of a, a unique 
horror story, but there was a thread throughout them using the same uh, characters in the story. And the six of them became this sort of epic pen pal series. And it was actually then uh, he published it as a novel and then a Hollywood producer came along and optioned it from him. So, you know, that kind of uh, growth uh, from the kind of writers that uh, were posting on No Sleep is is amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really uh, think it's amazing when I hear people talk about the concept of this is effective. The, the idea of horror podcasting, horror audio fiction is effective because it allows people to use their imagination. And that's such a big part of it because you know, when you think about the genres out there that in movies or literature, you think about things like comedy and action adventure and romance. These are all genres that are trying to elicit very positive emotions. People want to laugh and be happy. People want to cheer on the hero and people want to swoon when the two lovers kiss. But when you're talking about horror, you want to elicit something that most people try to avoid. And that's the sense of fear and dread and, you know, that sort of anxiety that it can evoke. And so to, uh, to give the people the chance to use their imaginations and sort of meet us halfway. It's a phrase I like to use a lot. Our listeners need to meet us halfway. They need to believe in these stories and they need to use their imaginations. And when they do that, that's, uh, that's going to enhance the experience so much. And so I guess to get back to the, the question at hand, what other stories? Um, there was one that we did. It was in the very first season. Um, the name is, is kind of strange. It's called Iteowin Shirdlu. And what that re refers to is a series of letters on a specific keyboard. And it had to do, it was sort of based on a true story of murders down in Gainesville, Florida. And it had to, to do with this person who would call this uh, suicide prevention hotline and speak in this strange voice. And, uh, but it, you know, it was one of those stories that we, one of the first stories where I was able to kind of adapt it and, and create a little bit more in terms of the sound design. And from there, again, just that sense of, yeah, let's use your imagination and put yourself in that scene. And it just, you know, sends shivers down your spine. So I, I really believe strongly in that sense of giving the audience room for their own imagination to fill in the gaps. And that's what's going to make it more powerful for them. Yeah. And, and Casey, could you jump in on this? I mean, you know, in the time you've spent doing this podcast, what sort of what lessons have you learned about how to make a story scary in the audio format? Well, there's a lot of ways you you can make it scary from, I think, from the sound alone, like uh, like David was saying, because like if you watch a horror film and you turn the sound down, it loses 90% of its power uh, because it's not about what you see. It's what you don't see. That's scary. It's the it's the the theater of the mind imagination thing that David was talking about, where if you can hear a little bit of a threat out there, then that is what's going to to make it much more scary. The other thing is um, it's all about kind of in a way in the storytelling aspect, what's at stake. If you're listening to a story that um, you don't care who the characters are and they just kind of die in the beginning and you're like, oh, okay. But if you're listening to a, a moment where your favorite character is in a scene where you don't know if he's going to make it out of this, that will add suspense and, and a, in a way that, can't be experienced otherwise because you're rooting for the character you want them to make it through there and so you're living the scene with the character and also you can make the bring the the experience more to the listener through that that person whether it is the fear the voice the even the the breathing of the character and footsteps will tell you exactly how they are experiencing the environment around them if they're like if you can feel their breath short and tight and you're going to start mimicking what they're they're doing. There's this weird like breath mimicking like psychology thing that actually can happen. Um so you can tap into that when somebody's able to close their eyes and just put themselves in these very high tension high tension situations. Do you ever worry about making it too scary or going too far with the disturbing horror repulsive kind of aspects of of the story? Yeah, because uh, I don't I don't do gory. I try not to do gory. There are some gory things in the show, but I think gore is not suspense. Gore is um, un it's unnecessary in many ways, and it actually takes away from good storytelling. You can have um, you can really have something great and not have it disgusting. But there are elements that you know it, it all depends. There are boundaries you can you can push, but if you go too far. 
you're gonna you're gonna throw off and you're gonna lose people in the dust and you really there's a happy medium of of suspense like um i don't there's this movie i always uh reference called uh curse of the cat people i think that's the name i could be wrong um where you never actually saw the thing that was coming after them it was always the shadows and it was always something you didn't see and it was it they they can really do scary as hell without having to have someone with their guts ripped open i mean gore takes away from that and i think uh you can go too far and so if you stay in this happy like center where um people are you know they're on the edge of their seat but they're not necessarily like you know back in revulsion yeah yeah and david do you want to uh, touch on that subject Yes, uh, you know, w- with our approach, we try very hard to stay away, like, like Casey said, to stay away from the stories that are really just going to try to, you know, appeal to that kind of lizard part of your brain where it's just the gore and the, the visceral sort of disemboweling and all that. Anything to do with sort of a torture porn, you know, that kind of thing, anything that's um, really explicitly uh, involved with sexual violence, we try to stay, steer clear of. Um, we have a number of stories that imply that, imply a person being abused as a child or whatever. And I think that, you know, you can, you can find that medium there. But, uh, the, the one thing that, uh, that I have always tried to stay away from, uh, as well as all the gore and sort of the, the really, uh, hardcore stuff is the, um, the concept of the jump scare. And that's something that I think is plaguing horror movies these days because it's such, to me, it's just such lazy writing to, you know, have that person walking through the, the quiet house at night and all of a sudden, you know, the cat jumps in the window and, and screeches, you know, like cats do all the time. <laughs> um, and so it's just the concept of, you know, startling people is not scaring people. And uh, it, it, it doesn't create a sense of, of dread, which is, you know, sort of what we're really going for. So. In terms of that audio aspect, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll include some nice juicy sound effects if the scene calls for it. So if there's a person who, uh, you know, gets disemboweled or something, again, not in a really graphic sense, but, you know, it's nice to get those sound effects of the, uh, of the gut spilling out, but it, it's almost done to just enhance the other person or the listener's imagination as opposed to sort of literally shoving those guts down their throat. It's, it's more of an implied <laughs> thing. And, uh, so yeah, that it's, to me, I, I feel that there's a real responsibility in terms of audio that you want to build a certain amount of trust in your listeners and not, uh, betray that trust by just out of the blue, throwing a, you know, blindingly loud scream or something like that. That's just going to startle. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I'm curious, David, do you have any sort of horror stories of working on the podcast in terms of just, you know, things that have gone wrong or big challenges or. You know, I don't know, things that went, didn't go over well with the audience or just anything where you're just like, oh, man, this is such a headache. Uh, you know, these challenges you've faced. Well, there's a, there's a couple of stories that we've done. And it's interesting. You mentioned earlier that uh, that listener who had uh, written in a comment about one of the stories, which was called Budget Cinema. And that that story, which was an award winner of the monthly writing contests that uh, that they do on the, the No Sleep Forum. Um it was probably the darkest story we've done, and, and I don't really want to spoil anything, even though it's been out for a few years, but it basically, there's an element in that where a person is coerced into a, a strange sort of late night screening of a film, and the film that he sees on screen is essentially a snuff film, and it's pretty graphic, and, and it uh, it's pretty edgy, but the, the story around it, I felt that was so terrifying that I felt it was worth including. And so when I did that story, uh, I did this sort of big disclaimer at the front and I said, you know, kind of warned people that you, you got to watch out for this story. It's pretty dark. And, you know, the, the reaction wasn't too bad. I didn't get a lot of blowback from that. But, uh, a few, I don't know if it's a few years later, maybe even later that season, we did a story, uh, that was called autopilot and of a very popular story on the no sleep forum. And essentially, it tells a story that you see on the news every summer, and it involves uh, a child who um, ends up dying because of being left in a car in the hot sun. And, you know, when I when I read the story, it was so brilliantly crafted. I love doing it. Very emotional. But it, it never occurred to me that this is going to really resonate with people, because, as I said, you see that on the news every summer. Tragically, a number of children die 
you know, every year because intentionally or just through uh, neglect, they, they just are put in that situation or they get trapped in a trunk or something. And so when that story came out, I was really kind of caught off guard that all these people were saying, Hey, I really like that episode, except for that one story, you know, <laughs> and, and a lot of them were parents, of course, and they could really relate to it. So, you know, that, that was a good, uh, bit of experience for me, sort of eye opening to realize that there are those buttons that you have to watch. And one of them that's been reinforced time and time again is the idea of you got to watch it when children are involved. If a child dies, if a child's kidnapped, you know, that kind of thing, anything, anything with children being put in danger. I really have to make sure that that's uh, well laid out ahead of time. Yeah. And, and Casey, have you had similar experiences to that? Um, different ones. You're, you're talking about horror stories. Um, to be honest, like some of the things you're mentioning, we've done and been able to get away with. Like we killed a kid. Um, <laughs> we had, um, I laugh about it, but it, it's, it, we, everyone didn't have a problem with that one. And ours, uh, it's, but it's it's weird. It all depends on what their what the the subject matter is. But um, we we do have some segments where some characters have died. Where I kid you not, like when there's one episode that un that unveiled that I kid you not, my Twitter feed just exploded with like, how could you do that? I cannot believe I'm in tears at work. Like we have people who um can become incredibly moved. There's one chapter in particular where we do something that is just gut-wrenching but it's not horror it's just you know will pull you down to a level that's really really low so we have we have had that happen um and we did do one scene that was in very uncomfortable for some of the the listeners as well um it was an attempted rape scene that um was pretty graphic and we didn't it the only reason we could get away with it was because it didn't actually happen uh it was an attempt but it didn't it so it didn't go very far but it still left the uh the listener very uncomfortable uh in an intentional way but we were able to you know because it didn't actually happen we were able to get by but if it did happen i think that would have crossed the line with the listeners and and things like that so it's it's there are those buttons you can push like david was saying that you just you can't go through and like i i don't want to ever kill a dog so <laughs> things like that well, I mean, and doing this full cast audio that you do, I would imagine you just must run into logistical nightmares sometimes trying to coordinate all these people. Has that ever been a, a real problem for the show? In terms of just getting people together, that is a nightmare. Um, we had a total of 88 individual actors on the show uh, through its span. And to get people in the same space at the same time, by the end, after like five years of people moving to different locations and... Yeah, it got very problematic. We had one of our main characters move to Louisiana and had to do remote recording directing uh, for him and then do it again for all the other cast and then put them together and hope that the direction was perfect for both so that they would merge together and work out. So, yeah, and also, like, we couldn't record. Uh, you can't control the recording environments in Louisiana. You had to trust that the engineers there knew what they were doing, which sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. So it's it's whenever you're dealing with that, it's always really, really hard, especially with minimal budget. Say we had the budget of like Walking Dead or even the BBC audio dramas that they do where they I think their budgets are like $30,000 an hour. If you had that budget, so much easier. But for us, and uh, I, I probably would speak for David as well on low budgets like this, there's just you can't you, it's very hard to difficult to manage people and you have to use their spare time very particularly because if they think feel it's a waste uh they won't they won't be as energetic or in the role as much as you want them to be well you mentioned that it's a low budget i mean could you give us some idea of of what your budget is and like how much money does it take to get something like this started if anyone else wants to try to attempt it um, I generally shy away from talking how much we spent only because um uh, it's an unrealistic number because the myself uh i was not i'm not paid by the show um uh, i do receive royalties for our the cd sales but for most part um like i'm i'm the the primary sound editor supervisor um my other producer was as well and we volunteered our time um the recording studio was that we used here in uh, california was donated um the actors were not paid scale so it's it's 
and we were able to like had to do a special contract with the union to be able to do it. And so um, I don't like to give the budget numbers out for those reasons. But if someone was to try and produce this at the level we were and have to pay everyone in the positions, it would be about 30000 an hour, which is incredibly horrible for, you know, being able to sustain something for a long period of time on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and how about David? What sort of... Um... I don't know. I imagine your show doesn't require all that much special equipment or anything, right? Do you just want to give us an idea of what sort of equipment and software and stuff you use to make your show? Right. And uh, what we do, it's it's certainly very different from what Casey is dealing with. The 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 notion that you're pulling actors together into uh, you know a single studio and recording live off the floor. I mean, I just I can't imagine the the, the nightmares you go through for that because what I end up doing is I work with some very talented people. But they all do their stuff remotely. So they're going to record their narration and send it to me. And then I piece it together. So, you know, I'm not worried about schedules that way. It's just, you know, I need you to record the story. Can you get it to me, you know, in this period of time? So it's uh, uh, my hat's off to Casey for pulling that off for as long as you have. That's amazing. Um, but, you know, with us or, you know, with what I do, it's it is relatively, well, certainly low budget and uh but no, there's not a, a lot of cost involved other than, you know, as I've gone along, I've just tried to invest money back into the show. So, you know, use sort of the latest versions of software, like uh, I use uh, Adobe Audition for most of the editing, um, you know, buying sound effects libraries, uh, buying plugins that can enhance the sound and so on. So with that kind of, uh, you know, very small budget and just trying to trying to keep up with the latest uh, updates and the versions of the software that uh, that allows us to put it together in you know in relatively good order and you know relatively professionally i'm i'm always trying to get better at what i do my aspect of it and uh, you know it just it takes time it takes time to to learn these things because really nobody involved with the no sleep podcast is uh professional at what they do so from the writers to the narrators to the musicians, all of that are people who started it basically as a hobby. And, uh, the, you know, the talent is there and, you know, the, the opportunity that some of these people could take it to the next level is kind of exciting to me that they could keep, you know, developing their skill and their craft. But, uh, yeah, we're, I, I sort of think of what we do as sort of audio community theater. You know, we're not professionals. We're, we're uh, accountants and, and uh, bakers by day, and then they do these things as a hobby. So, yeah, low budget and uh, just, you know, really basic USB mics for a lot of the narrators. They do their editing on Audacity and, you know, sort of a lot of the open source software. And uh, I'm fortunately able to have a little bit higher end gear, but, um, you know, that's sort of what it takes for us to put the show together. Yeah. Okay, so I had a bunch of questions from Jose Aragao. And uh, one thing he wants to know is how many people listen to your shows regularly and how did you build your audience? So, uh, David, uh, you want to take that one? Well, for the No Sleep podcast, it's been almost uh, exclusively word of mouth. That's really how we've grown it. I mean, we started from a relatively sm uh, small subreddit on Reddit. I think when the, the show started, there were maybe 20,000 people who were subscribed to that subreddit. Uh, it's now grown and it became sort of a default subreddit. I think there's now over 2 million subscribers. So, you know, that's seen exponential growth. But for the podcast, it's really just been a friend telling a friend telling a friend. And it's grown up from, you know, very, very small numbers to to huge numbers. And sort of like what Casey was saying, I'm not, you know, I, I, I know a lot of podcasters keep their listener stats close to the chest or close to the vest. And, you know, they don't share those. But uh, what I've seen, I was just actually looking at stats a little earlier, and uh, it, just in terms of, of downloads, for example, it doesn't really give you an idea of the number of listeners, but a year ago, January in 2014, the number of the free shows that were downloaded in that month was 85,000. A January of 2015, a year later, it was over 326,000. So, you know, that kind of growth is, is really encouraging and it's, it's showing that it, the audience is growing and it's growing not because I'm advertising, not because I spend my days, you know, Twitter bombing people and telling people about the show. I just, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, let the fans spread the word and to sort of quadruple the audience in, in the, the span of a year, 
you know, it's just, it's connecting with people and, uh, and that's very encouraging. Well, so in Casey, are you playing your stats close to your vest or is there anything you can tell us about that? Um, well, you, you said when we came in, well, we are currently at 32 million downloads and kind of counting. Um, but I will say that that was not where we started. Um, we, for the first year, our, I think, top episode in the first year we were out there was maybe a thousand downloads um, in a month. Like, it was, it started very, very slow. But um, with all these things, it's, it's, if you build it, they will come. Eventually, people will pick up and, and jump on and, and keep going. Um, I, I, we, we have gotten to the point where we can be okay touting the numbers, but there was a lot of really slow times. And, um, it, it is all word of mouth and it is all just making sure. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't understand is, um, to produce to a schedule and stick to it and be sure to regularly update and keep your listeners informed because, um, when people are picking podcasts to listen to or a story to get involved in, they want to know two things. Number one, is it going to go away and I'm just wasting my time? Um, is it going to fizzle out? Um, or are they just going to like take seven month hiatuses and not tell anybody and not communicate? And all of a sudden it's like 3000, you know, days between chapters, but this, stuff like that happens. There are podcasts that, that do it as, as they go. And it's, it's hard to keep a listener base then. So consistency is like a huge, huge thing um, to keep people going and um, always finding ways to, and, and avenues for people to, to share the experience with other people. And um, and yeah, don't Twitter bomb them. Uh, Facebook is almost becoming uh, impossible to use as a marketing tool much anymore unless somebody wants to share you directly because uh, Facebook is continually like. Oh, you, you make a fan page? Well, there's so many fan pages now that they're, they're limiting their exposure and unless you pay. So social media like is decreasing if you're just trying to push the word out yourself. You have to have other people uh, share this stuff and, and find ways to entice them to share it with other people. And so that's, that's very important. So contests, things like that always do really well. And um, it's all being able to expose new people, but the number one thing and the only way that people are going to come back and re-listen and get more downloads is producing quality content from beginning to end, um, and spending that extra time to make sure that there's no, uh, you're putting out your best possible work. If there's, if you're like, eh, this is okay, you know, work on it more, try and get it to the level and always, always increase your, uh, quality standards. And I know that you guys partnered with Nerdist Industries. Uh, has that had a big effect on uh, allowing you to reach a larger audience? Contrary to what people might think, podcast networks help, but they're not like a giant 75% increase. Uh, like if I was to give you a percentage increase, uh, I would say it's about, it was about five to 10 tops um, here or there. It's not going to be a huge jump uh, because it's all about exposing people who would want to listen to it. So yeah, we got more listeners from it, but it's not as many as, as one might think. Okay, so I had a listener question from Julie Lee. Casey, she wants to know, when is the next sequel to We're Alive coming out? We are currently working on an, a very experimental project. We're seeing how this goes. We're changing the model up a bit and getting a little bit out of podcasts and into um, actually producing purchased uh, series now. Because um, we're like, We're Alive is there, and we're actually working on a side story called We're Alive Lockdown, which we just announced like two days ago. Um, that's going to be like a, a four to six hour epic by itself, um, rather than breaking it up into small chunks and relying on the cliffhangers to keep people involved. Uh, so we're, that's, we're currently working on that. We're looking to come out with that in summer, this summer, summer 2015. All right, great. And then Lisa Robbins wants to know, David, uh, she says, love, no sleep. I really loved the Pen Pal series. Is there anything else like that coming up? Uh, that's that's a really high bar to reach uh, to to take a, a series like Pen Pal, which was just so brilliantly done. Um, one thing, in t not so much in terms of trying to duplicate Pen Pal, but uh, just just so people understand, as I mentioned, this was a, a story that was done in six individual parts. And what we did was we produced the first three parts, and then we took a, a small break, so to speak, and then. We came back with part two with the final three parts. So one of the things that I've been 
thinking about and sort of stewing over for the last couple of, uh, well, probably over a year now, is to do, in a way, that kind of uh, taking a story and telling it over multiple episodes. So if we were to find a story that had the length and the scope where we could, let's say, do it as the final episode, pardon me, the final story in each episode over a course of five or six episodes, uh, and then, you know, sort of allow people to to get that cliffhanger excitement, as Casey was mentioning, um, you know, that's something that I'd love to look into. But of course, it's it's reliant on the source material. If we can get a story with the proper scope and the proper length that we can turn it into sort of serialize it as it were. And um, because I've heard for some reason that people seem to like serial podcasting. I don't know where <laughs> that came from, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I like that idea and uh, it would be something that I'd love to do. But it's it's just a case of finding the, uh, the the source content. All right, great. And then when I posted that I was talking to both you guys, a listener named Daniel Watkins posted, quote, OMG, finally, my two favorite podcasts coming together to do a Q&A. When can we see a collaboration? So I don't know. Is there any chance for a we're alive, no sleep crossover coming up? Well, I can uh, I can play a really good zombie. Uh, so so there you go. That's that's maybe about the uh, the only thing I can contribute to Casey's production. But uh, you know what, David? I'll, ke- I'll I will I will take you up on that. I will uh, if you record a zombie voice or noise for me, I will put it into we're alive lockdown. Well, look at that. I- I'm a star already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll make it. We'll make it work. We'll make it happen. Um, I love it. Collaboration. A lot of a lot of people are like. Oh yeah, we'd love to have these two things come together. Um, that stuff gets really complicated when you combine two different worlds. But I always like bringing in other people from like other podcasts to do voices and stuff like that. It's when you try and bring two IPs together that doesn't work very well because then there's also a lot of royalty issues and futures. And uh, I like I like writing my stuff. I'll be honest. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, even though what we're doing, you can put it under the umbrella of horror podcasting in a way, in some ways, we're not even really podcasters. We're more audio drama. And so, yeah, you know, it would be interesting to say, well, could we have, you know, maybe a story featuring some of the characters from We're Alive and do it as sort of a one-off No Sleep podcast story? You know, there's that type of possibility. But, you know, as, as Casey said, the logistics of that and, you know, I think you know, we've got two, you know, pretty good shows out there. And so kind of enjoy them separately and listen to them back to back if you want. But the idea that we can somehow merge the two universes is is going to be a little too much work, I think. Yeah, we all saw what happened with the Scooby-Doo and like the Globetrotters. <laughs> it's fun, <laughs> but it's really not the real, That it's not really Scooby-Doo, you know? Exactly. All right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. So I guess just, uh, I don't know, do you guys have any final thoughts on horror podcasting or any other projects you want to let people know about anything like that? So uh, David, any any final words? Well, uh, no, the, the no, no other projects. Uh, the No Sleep Podcast takes up uh, all of my time. I actually do it full time now. And so, you know, doing it as my full time job is, uh, I mean, it's great and I love doing it. But, you know, when it's, uh, when the hours go from sort of 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. and just trying to get the show out and struggling to answer emails and that kind of thing, it's uh, other projects don't really hit the radar. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just we're into our fifth season now and uh, the response from the listeners has been amazing. And uh, the, the premium members who are signing up are just so enthusiastic and so supportive. So, you know, we're, we're doing something right and that's encouraging. And so it's, you know, it's great to to have this community, as we were saying, that uh, that's out there, and uh, you know, guys like Casey and guys like in the other uh, podcasts that we mentioned, you know, there's great, great content out there, and I'm just I'm just glad that podcasting in general is starting to become more mainstream, and people realize that there's really high quality productions out there that either are free or cost you know pennies per hour, and just you know, it's available. And, uh, you know, look into it and, and get into it because there's great content out there. All right, great. And Casey, final final thoughts? Um, one, Dave, that's awesome that you can do that full time now. That is honestly, that is living the dream. That's something that I can't do um, with We're Alive yet. One day, maybe. Um, but that's that's awesome. And for the listeners, I would definitely say that um, a way to support the the podcast We're Alive and the No Sleep podcast 
write reviews on iTunes. Let people know what you think. Um, I generally tend to not recommend doing one stars <laughs> because for whatever reason, people like go, oh, it's five stars or one stars. There's very few in between. Um, one stars actually reduce your rating big time. So be careful. But like write reviews, tell friends, um, you know, share share links on Twitters of a story you like or something that that's going on. Because like Dave said, we're, we're all word of mouth. And the only way that if you want to be able to hear more of stuff that we're doing is if you, the listener, are able to tell more people and share it with other people. Like, you know what? I probably should tell Joe because he he really likes uh, horror stuff or he really likes, uh, you know, that, that, that serial show Lost. We're not that, but we're better. <laughs> um, so get out there and, and tell your friends and support your local, um, basically, local community theater, as David put it. All right, great. So I think we're going to have to wrap things up there. But uh, guys, this has been great, and I just really want to thank you for joining us here. Thanks, David. And David. <laughs> thank you, guys. This has been great. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Casey Wayland and David Cummings for joining us on the show. And you can find out more about them at worldlive.com and thenosleeppodcast.com. Okay, so as some of you know, last week we set up a crowdfunding page over at patreon.com geeks. We needed to do that because making the show is a full-time job, but it's never really brought in much money, and I've been covering most of the costs of producing the show out of my own pocket. There have been a few really big opportunities which came along that seem to hold out the promise of turning the show into something sustainable, but so far all of those have fallen through in the end, which has been pretty heartbreaking. That brings us back to Patreon. Over the past week, dozens of listeners have signed up to back us for $1 or 2 or $3 per episode, and those contributions now add up to about $100 per show. Assuming I can keep cranking out episodes every week, and assuming that nothing else goes wrong, that would theoretically be enough money, combined with the funding we get from Wired, to earn me an income that is technically above the poverty line, which I think is pretty amazing. As Dave and Casey mentioned during the panel, being able to earn a living, any sort of living, doing a podcast is an incredible privilege, an incredible thrill, and totally unexpected. And I'm very grateful to everyone who took the time this week to sign up on Patreon and help make that happen. It's made me feel very proud and very appreciated, and has definitely encouraged me to stick with this for a while longer and see how things go. That said, I'd also really appreciate it if more listeners would sign up on Patreon so that I could hopefully make an income that's not quite so close to the poverty line. After all, it only took about 60 people chipping in a dollar or two per show to get us where we are now, and another 60 people, or another 100 people, or another few hundred, all chipping in a dollar or two per show, could help ensure that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy continues long into the future. This is a podcast that has well over 10,000 listeners, so I think that signing up a few hundred Patreon patrons is completely doable. So I hope that some of you listening right now will head on over to patreon.com geeks and sign up. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot geeks. I also promised that at the end of this show I'd thank everyone who signed up this week. That list of names got a lot longer than I really thought it would, and now it's probably going to take a while to get through them all. But a promise is a promise, so if you're in a rush, you can stop listening now, that's basically the end of the show. But if you're the sort of person who likes to sit through the end credits at movies and read all the names, then boy have I got a treat for you. Or maybe you're living in the year 2016, or 2020, or 2025, and you're going back through the archives and now you're just listening to episode 137. If that's the case, and if the show's still going on in your time, then maybe you'd like to pay extra special attention to these names, because they're the ones who kept the show going back in 2015. And it's thanks to them that you in the future still have Geek's Guide to the Galaxy to listen to. Okay, and so a huge thank you goes out to Stephen Byrne, Shabri Perico, Thomas Anderson, Joe Monty, Frederick Arrow, Katrina Rainiers jackson Kai Charles, Scott, a.k.a. Bambucher, David Cummings of the No Sleep Podcast, Michael Duda, Joshua Bregman, Edward Kennedy, John Draz, Bill Simoni, Raymond Chan, Lada, Wee Bit, Damian Dimmick, Sebastian Hentzelt, Dan Brisbois, David Anderson, Monica Palladino, Jeff Zylan, Andy Mamel, Shane Sawyer, Vicky, Benjamin Butala, Scott, Sarah Cook, M.L. Hunt, KBK, Topher S, Saner FTL, David Hallbrook, Chip Hauser, Sam Glidden, 
Pedro Mizukami, Adam J. Forster, Anthony Purchase, Mike Kakanadel, Alexandria Savage, Tara Dunlop, Monit Singh, Paresh Desai, Aaron Vaughn, John McKim, L.A., Jason, a.k.a. Jiggy, Olivier Trainen, Matt Dawson, Noam Weiss, Mark Watkins, Lou Frederick, Shane Stewart, Paul W., Chris Brown, Amy Fredericks, Adriana Williams, Dustin Kosky, Greg Harris, and Jim Whitehead. I also want to give a very special thank you to Nicholas Rogers from Monroe, Georgia, who signed up to give us an amazing $10 per episode, which puts him in the vaunted company of my all-time favorite Parisian, Bruno Ankier, who's been giving us $50 a month via PayPal. So thanks, guys. Your contributions are greatly, greatly appreciated. I also need to thank some folks who made especially generous contributions to the show via PayPal. So we just got a $50 contribution from Kristen Fredrickson, a $25 contribution from Tate J. Williams, another $25 contribution from Juan San Miguel, and a $30 contribution from Rune Peterson, who just became PayPal crowdfunder number 100. Rune also just signed up to contribute monthly payments to the show via PayPal, as did Maria Teresa Navales and Miko Inkinen. So thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And remember that if you don't want to sign up on Patreon for any reason, you can still send us one-time or monthly contributions via PayPal at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.